In April of 1988, two couples had been murdered on or near the Colonial Parkway in Virginia. As yet, no one had reason to believe these murders might be connected. That was until the morning of April 10, 1988, when an abandoned car was found on the Colonial Parkway. Join us for Part 3 of the Colonial Parkway Murders as we dive into the darkness, one crime at a time. Welcome to One Crime at a Time. I'm your sickly host, Shannon. With me, as always, <laughs> my sister from the same mister. They'll send the feds. <laughs> How are you? Well, I'm better. I have been so damn sick, and I, I know this episode is late, guys, and I am so sorry. Well, I haven't been well either, because I was out of work two days last week because of my leg. Yeah. I couldn't work. Yeah, so. we discussed last week your incident with the leg, yes. your And clumsiness. it has been horrible, <laughs> but it's getting better. Yeah, so. I have been dog sick, and I tested negative for COVID. I tested negative for the flu. I don't know what the hell I had, but I don't want it again. Let me just put it that way. You need to keep your crud to yourself. <laughs> I, have been I have worked so, so sick. hard and been so diligent not to get anything <laughs> this year, and here you come. Well, I haven't had a fever since Monday. No, Sunday night. Sunday night. Okay. Um, I haven't been sick. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I haven't been sick since Sunday morning. Okay. But I have, I felt bad Monday. I felt good yesterday was the first day I felt okay in like since, Girl, you, since last Friday. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, so I, I want to apologize up front. I know I've been apologizing like crazy on Twitter for not having this um, episode out yet. But I am so sorry. But I Well, we so didn't sick. do episodes for either one of ours because I'm like, I've been injured. Yeah. I've been, been sick. I just could and not. it's just been rough. I got my, I took my, I took my stitches out Monday. <laughs> I can't, like, they just got on my nerves. Homegirl, <laughs> stupid. They got on my nerves. She didn't bother to go back to the doctor. I'm not going to pay them $35 to take nine stitches out. Yeah. That's just Cut, cut that's to just the crazy. scene in the movie where you're cutting, where the dude's cutting his <laughs> cast off like yeah, an Irving I mean, Cowboy. I mean. And in Ricky Bobby. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> All you got to do is get you some nail clippers or something, people. <laughs> Or some fingernail scissors make and some sure, tweezers. Please make sure that you clean them thoroughly. Yes, clean, you need to clean them and you need to um, rinse them with alcohol before please, you do this. Please, and please don't take any medical advice from this show. <laughs> please, we do not do any of that that she just told you to it's do. It's not hard, though. <laughs> but I no, do not do that. <laughs> Well, I have medical training, though. Well, okay, but the people listening don't, and I don't want any lawsuits, so do not. Don't stab yourself. Don't, do not try to take your own stitches out at home. <laughs> Just don't do it. It's not hard. <laughs> All right, guys. For so. more advice, <laughs> visit us. <laughs> We're done giving advice. 
we're just gonna we're just gonna sit here and read anyway, this story. It's not hard. <laughs> we're just gonna tell y'all about some murder. I can guarantee you that half of the people listening have taken some stitches out of themselves or somebody or but an animal somewhere before. I just, I just don't before. want somebody to say, "Well, Shannon and Christina said I could." No, no, we didn't. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you can. I'm just saying it's possible. I'm saying that you should not do that. Ever. I never said that they could. <laughs> I was just telling them how it was done. Now, there's a difference there. Well, just just so everybody's clear on that. I never said that they could do it. <laughs> Let's clear that up. Just don't do it, guys. Go to the doctor. I was just telling them how it was done. I know, I know. I'm just saying. I just want to cover. I just want to. We I just want to make sure we have all bases covered. That's just some little CYA right there. Yeah. So, anyway, I will finish this. So anyway, all you have to do is just clip it and pull it out. But don't. But don't do that. <laughs> Unless you know what you're doing. Do not do that. All right. So let's get started. I'm going to read, you know, we always read at least one review. Yes. Because I don't want to. She doesn't want to. She wants to keep you in suspense of which one she's going to read next. I don't want to run out of reviews, so we just do one i tell y'all what you do said we don't run out of reviews, if I could talk. Just go flood that place with reviews. (laughs) Oh, she would be so excited. I would love that. I would love that. That would, I'm like, I can hear the call now. (laughs) (laughs) I would love it. All right. um, This one is from A. Pelling. Okay. Just the the initial A. Pelling. Uh, It's five stars. It says, very entertaining. Entertaining podcast that gives you the dark details while keeping it light. (laughs) Well, we try. A great mix. (laughs) Thank you, A. Pelling. See, and thank you, because... She you. gets it because something this or dark. He, I don't know if it's he, a he yeah. or her. She, he, whoever you are, a pilling. <laughs> we appreciate you greatly. We do because they get it because something this dark, you have to keep it light. Yeah. Because it's or just, we do anyway. Yeah. Or I wouldn't be able to talk about it. So <laughs> without we're, doing we're that, weird. we're weird. Yeah. But we love it. I also need to give a shout out to um, we got a new patron this week. Um, James Harrington. Thank you so much, James. We appreciate you greatly, greatly, greatly. Love you. Mean it. We do love you. We love you. I love you. Now, when we left off last week, we had discussed... Somebody had been murdered. Yes. We had discussed the double murders of Kathy Thomas and Rebecca Dowski, which Mm -hmm. we did in episode one, and of the... David Knobling and Robin Edwards, which we did in episode two. Yes. And as far as the authorities were concerned, these were isolated incidents and had no connection. They weren't connected to each other. Wrong. However, for some, wrong. that line of thinking would change on the morning of April 10th, 1988, when the abandoned car of Keith Call who had gone out on a date with Cassandra Haley the previous night. Maybe it's just somebody who's jealous because these people are getting dates and they're, like, really pissed. I mean, it could be. I mean, I mean that's I'm being one serious. of the, you know, which we will get into th- that when we talk about theories and suspects. I'm ready to talk about theories now. No. <laughs> we got to get through all the details first but are okay. you, or, so that you can develop your theory. A but sound, I already a have sound my theory. theory a sound theory. <laughs> well, when I, you have I, I all, you I need, need all of the information. I guess I do need more information. Yes, but Keith Call and Cassandra Haley had gone out the night of April tenth, nineteen eighty-eight, and then the next morning, his car was found abandoned in a turnout on the Colonial Parkway. So it wasn't pushed in a hill. It wasn't. No, it was just sitting in a turnout. Well, I'm, I'm going to go through the details. 
Okay. Let's talk about let's talk about the victims. I was first. just going to say that I could see why they would think they weren't connected, though. Yeah, because which, each of them are different, but the same. They're different, the, but the same. It's weird. Which we will go into when we not this episode, but I don't know that it will be next episode either. But definitely the episode after that. Okay. <laughs> There's just so much on this. Okay. On these on this so. So Richard Keith Call. He was born March 8, 1968, to Barbara and Richard Call. He went by his middle name, Keith, and he was the middle of five children. He was stuck slap in the middle. Slap in the middle. The family originally lived in Newport News and then had later moved to the York County Seaford area. Okay. And in 1980, the family relocated again to rural Gloucester. Gloucester. I think it's Gloucester or something. Gloucester. Like Gloucester. Just say Gloucester. Gloucester. If we're wrong, they'll let us know. <laughs> Gloucester. If we're wrong, Gloucester. it's Gloucester. Gloucester County. <laughs> if we're wrong, they'll let us know. Let me know, folks in Virginia, because I know you're probably screaming at your phone or radio or whatever Just it is you're listening but nicely. to right now. You don't have to be ugly about it. No, you can be ugly. I don't care. I'm Just ugly. like Arkansas. Yeah. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> Now, Keith attended Gloucester High School. <laughs> Say it's Gloucester. Gloucester. And was described as having an almost Kirk Cameron look. That's oh, the second time in Shannon. this series that I've brought up Shannon Kirk Cameron. Shannon is in love with you, Keith. <laughs> if you can hear us wherever you are. His parents but. said instilled in him a strong work ethic. One of his hobbies was sailboating. Keith and his friends would hang out on the beach along the York River. Go sailboating. So he also enjoyed drawing, riding motorcycles, and he really loved computers. So this in his was... free time, he worked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> You've named all this stuff that he enjoyed well, doing all the time. I was just, I'm just trying to give y'all an idea of Keith. You know, I mean, that's who this is about. So. Now, according to his brother Chris, Keith was a very sweet, compassionate person. And Keith likes to tell this story about Keith. Wait a minute. Keith tells the story about no, Keith? I, or... I said, and he likes to oh, tell the story Oh, I thought you said Keith tells the story. Keith. I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> so this is Chris's quote. Okay. Quote, when I was a senior in high school, Keith was probably in ninth or 10th grade. I'm gay, and I came out. With, to my parents when I was a senior in high school, and everyone accepted it except my mother. My mother and I, it was very nasty, not nice. And here's Keith, a 10th grader, and we live in a very rural area, and I remember he pulled my mother aside and said, you can't talk to your son like that. I remember he wrote a paper for his class about the situation. I remember he got an A on it. It was so moving and touching that someone like my brother would stand up for me and to my mother and write about it in a paper. It really spoke to how kind and compassionate and caring he was. But I thought that was a really sweet thing for him to do. Um, And and that's something that, that's what sticks out to his brother because it really meant a lot to him. I I just have to, no matter what your beliefs, don't be ugly to people. (laughs) Please. I mean, just don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, let it go. <laughs> it's not affecting you. Move on. <laughs> exactly. 
I should tell that to my mom, to our mom. <laughs> I have told her time I, and time I mean, and time I again. Think it was, I think this hits really close to home for me is all I'm saying. I, I have told her time and time and time again. I love you, go. mama, but let it go. Let it go. <laughs> I'm gay. I can't help it. That's just how life is. So, okay, enough about me and my Yeah, enough my about you already. Uh, my personal issues. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Me, 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 that, me, 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 me. That, that's to be discussed in therapy. So, when Keith graduated from high school, his parents purchased him a red Toyota Celica. Oh, a Celica. A Celica. The car was his pride and joy, and he even had vanity plates for it. Kiefer. Kiefer? Kiefer. Because that's what people called him. Keith Why not just call him Keith? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Because that wasn't his nickname. Like my vanity plate in high school said Shan M. Which was stupid. <laughs> it was stupid. <laughs> it was so stupid. Yes. Now, after graduation, Keith enrolled at Christopher Newport University, which is a smaller school in Newport News, and he studied computer technology. Okay. In early April of 1988, Keith and his girlfriend of four years, Selena, they had a little minor separation. Uh-oh. They had agreed to split for two weeks to get to go on a break, so to speak, um, to Ross and Rachel it for a little while. Okay. <laughs> Where they would just separate for two weeks. They wouldn't talk to each other. They would maybe well, go. Well, no, you can still be friends. Yeah, you know, you could go. Well, I mean, I think they just wanted to see what it was like to have a break from each other. And they had decided. Like it was before you met each other. Well, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, they've been together four years. It was only four years. So they, but you change a lot in four years when you're that age. But I mean, still. you know, so they wanted to, you know, and they even agreed to, if the opportunity arose, them to go out with other people. Well, yeah, because they're not dating see. anymore. Right, just so, to I mean, see. they can do what they want. Yeah, so, you know, just, it was, they were on a break, as Ross would say. So, <laughs> no. we were on a break. They broke up. <laughs> they were no longer dating. We were on a break. So, in keeping with their agreement, Keith had asked out a young lady that was in one of his business classes, and her name was Cassandra Haley. And the two had agreed to go to a movie and then stop by a campus party at CNU. Now, Cassandra Lee Haley was born to Joanne and Glenn Haley on May 16, 1969, in Walton Beach, Florida. She usually went by Sandra or Sandy or Missy, and Missy was a nickname that was given to her when she was little by her two older sisters. After Glenn retired from the Air Force, the family settled in Newport News, Virginia. Cassandra, she was very outgoing. She was very friendly to everyone. She was a cheerleader. She enjoyed babysitting, coaching gymnastics, or working at Regis Hairstyling as a receptionist. Why would you enjoy babysitting? Because <laughs> <laughs> you get the money, honey, I guess. I, I guess, maybe. Oh, gosh. I have a story about a Regis hairstyling salon, but I'll save it for another time. Yes, let's, let's move on. <laughs> One of my <laughs> standout moments from my younger years. But anyway, I digress. She liked to be busy and was always constantly on the move. She was always doing something. She was very well organized and very committed to all of her obligations. She was very beautiful 
and had attended modeling school for a period of time. Okay. She didn't enjoy schoolwork, but she did try her best, (laughs) did the best that she could. She struggled a lot with math and would call her friend Terry Kirby for help. Now, although he was a year younger than her, Terry and Cassandra stuck up, struck up a secret relationship in middle oh, school hell. that carried on throughout high school. All and, in secret. Yes. And the reason this relationship was kept secret was because Terry happened to be black. Uh, and Cassandra was not. So? Now, some of you may recognize the name Terry Kirby. And that's mm-hmm. because Terry Kirby, he was, he had led the, his Tab High School to a state championship in mm-hmm. 1987 in football. He was selected for Parade's All-American Team and USA Today's All-USA Team after his senior year in 1988. He was a running back at the University of Virginia from 1989 to 1992. And in 1993, he was drafted by the Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. and went to play a total of 10 for the NFL for various teams before retiring in 2018. Yeah, how, how's, that, how's that looking now, Mama and Daddy? <laughs> well, her sister actually said that her mom and dad wouldn't have even cared. Why do you care what anybody else And thinks? But, I mean, I guess it was just, it was in the 80s. It was so? Virginia. They just, they just thought that it was best that they keep it on the down low, I guess. They didn't want the drama, basically. And I can understand that. <laughs> Totally, 100%. Now, Cassandra graduated in 1987 from Tab High School, and she, too, decided to enroll at Christopher Newport College, which is now Christopher Newport University, if I didn't mention that earlier. I don't remember if I did or not. I don't either. Now, she wasn't sure exactly what she wanted to study. She didn't know what she wanted to do, so she she didn't declare a major her freshman year. She was just doing general studies. And she wasn't dating anyone in her in April of 1988. So when Keith asked her out to go on a date, she decided to go. So on the night of April 9th, 1988, six foot tall, 150 pound Keith, he left his home in his red Celica to pick up Cassandra. <laughs> six foot, 150 pounds in a Toyota yep. Celica. <laughs> Picture this, people. Was, <laughs> if you don't know what a Toyota Celica is or looks like, go look it up. Yeah. It's just, just a small little sporty car. It was an 80s yeah. car. He was wearing his brother's white polo shirt, a brown and gray cardigan sweater, two-tone brown slacks, and shoes. Did he have a mustache? No, he did not. All the pic- None of the pictures I've ever seen of him showed him with a mustache, so I'm assuming that he did not have a mustache at this time You could time have had either. the complete 80s look. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like Kirk Cameron, by God. Well, Kirk Cameron could have a mustache. <laughs> Kirk Cameron doesn't have a mustache. I didn't say he did. I said he could. <laughs> but he didn't. <clears throat> That's my point. He made a pit stop at his brother Chris's place to get Chris to buy him some beer, because this, cause not long after... Before this is when they had changed the fed, the drinking age to 21 instead of 18. Yep. So he had to go to his older brother, Chris, to get some beer to take to the party. Now, Cassandra, she was 5 feet 7, weighed approximately 135 pounds. She had auburn hair and deep brown eyes. She was wearing two-toned acid wash blue jeans, a white front button blouse with three-quarter sleeves, 
in brown ankle length lace up boots. I can picture it. I mean, no, that's no, just that's, like like. Well, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to give everybody a picture of these two kids in 1988 going out on a Saturday night. That was the 80s, man. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> she was also wearing a brown wooden bead necklace and two rings. Yep that that would that would be about right. Now she and Keith had promised her parents that she would be home by 2 a.m. So that was when they had planned to be back home. Okay. So Keith and Cassandra, they left Cassandra's house to go to the movie. No one asked them what they were going to see. So we don't know that. Because oh, as you've probably already guessed, was this it doesn't end it? well. I don't know, but I that would be great if it that was. That still breaks my heart that those other kids <laughs> didn't get to go see Dragnet. <laughs> Poor things. Now, after the movie, they arrived at University Square Apartments, which was across from the Christopher Newport campus. When they arrived, Keith and Cassandra separated. Keith saw a mutual friend of his and Selena's that he went to talk to, while Cassandra saw her former boyfriend, Terry, and her best friend, Susan Scott. Now, Keith told his friend that he was not having a good time and could not wait to go home. So apparently he and Cassandra were not they hitting it off. They were not hitting it off. Yeah, they were not hitting it off very well. He indicated that the person he came with was not ready to leave, but he was. So, well, then leave. Well, he did leave at one point. There are plenty of people there to take her home. Well, yeah, you know, he's a gentleman. He was on I a date, know, so but... he was letting her do her thing. He did leave at one point to go to the convenience store, but he did come back and continue talking with his friend. Um, his friend also stated that Keith was not drinking. She said he talked a lot about his breakup with Selena and that they were spending some time apart for a certain period of time without calling each other, but he knew they would get back together. I don't think he was into Cassandra, and I don't think Cassandra was into him, from what it sounds like. Now, when she was ready to leave, Keith stated that he was leaving, too. This is the friend we're talking about. She said that she hugged Keith when it was time to go and saw the clock outside the apartment said 2.15 a.m. So, I guess oh, it was on a sign or something. Now this is, they were late. Yes. This friend stressed that Keith and Cassandra did not spend time together at the party. While accounts vary as to who Keith talked to and when, the partygoers also did not agree as to the exact time that Keith and Cassandra left. They had various people that said that they had him leaving anywhere between 11.30 and 2.15. That's a long time span there. People. Right. Y'all I think drunk. the 11.30 maybe was maybe the first time they Keith left and maybe yeah. these people saw him leaving then and didn't. Notice him again later? I don't know. Well, that one friend would have had to have talked to him, though. Well, I mean, she said that she saw outside, <laughs> I guess there was a sign probably on the... Like a at bank the, sign At the university or something. or something that had the time on it and said 2.15. But generally, the contention has been that most people say that it was around one thirty, one forty-five when okay. they left the party. But... Like Close I said, enough. they have people that say it was as early as 11.30, and some that say it's as late as 2.15. No, I think probably the 11.30, probably somebody did see Keith leave, because he did leave to go to the store. Right, but he didn't leave the party. Right, but he, he came just... back, and they just didn't realize that he had come back. So, but everybody at the party, 
everybody that saw them agreed that they did not seem to be having a good time together. <laughs> and that the, but they did leave together. But it was obvious that their date was not going well. Yeah. So at around 2.30 a.m. that same mon- morning, okay. Sunday, April the 10th, Chris Call, Keith's brother, he was coming back from Richmond with a friend. And they were coming back on the Colonial Parkway. He said that a van came out of the woods at Readingfield Park, which was a picnic area, one okay. of the picnic areas off the road that we had talked about in episode one. Uh-huh. And he remembered this van coming up behind them really fast. He said, quote, the speed limit on the parkway is 45. I remember remarking to my friend Ethan, you know, that van must be doing 65 to 75 miles per hour to catch up with us. Yeah. I remember we got to an area where a car was, and that car was exactly where they found my brother's car when they found it a few hours later. Once we passed the car, that van slowed down and did a U-turn and went back. Mm. The van didn't pass us. I don't remember if it pulled in where Keith's car was, Chris said. That really struck me at that time as something really weird. You don't do that on the parkway, especially at 3 a.m. in the morning. When we went by the car, I remember seeing a dome light on or either the trunk was open and the trunk light was on. But he knows there was some kind of light in the car. I remember remarking to my friend Ethan, oh, they're probably out parking. I had no idea at the time that it was my brother's car, but I'm 99.9% sure that the car I passed was my brother's. When my father found it and the park rangers about an hour later, that's exactly where my brother's car was. Mm. So I'm pretty sure that was his car. Yeah, he just stopped. Now, two other drivers would come forward claiming to have seen the red Celica with the vanity plates and the turnout as well. One driver passed the car at 5 a.m. but did not notice an interior light on. Another driver passed it at 6.10 a.m. and did notice a light on. Okay. Now, I don't know if somebody had been there in that time or if just the first, because, you know, Chris said he did see a light, too. The second driver says they didn't notice a light. The third driver says, yeah, the light was on, so maybe just the second person just didn't notice it it could be and that it was on i don't know or it could be that somebody had come back in between those times i don't know now keith's father richard he was driving on the parkway on his way to work at the anheuser Busch brewery at around 7 a.m that morning he passed keith's car parked at the york river overlook turnoff he turned around to check it out because he knew it was keith's car Mm mm-hmm It was disturbing initially to him because the driver's side door was kind of slightly ajar. Okay. Mr. Call got out. He checked inside the car. He said the driver's seat was folded forward as if someone was getting into or getting out of the back seat. Because it was a two-door car, you know. Yeah. Mr. Call saw Cassandra's purse on the passenger seat. He saw Keith's watch and some cassette tapes on the console between the two front seats. He checked for the keys to the vehicle. They were not at the they were not in the ignition and they weren't anywhere. He didn't find them anywhere else in the car. He did not see the car keys. In the back seat, he saw three beer cans on the floorboard on the top of a gray-looking coat or jacket. 
Now, he didn't think anything was amiss here. He thought that maybe, since he didn't see the car keys or anything, he thought, well, they've got it. He knew that Keith had a date that night, so he figured that they had just gone for a walk or something. So, he was already late for work, so he just continued to work. Oh. Now, <clears throat> Park Ranger John Seeger, he was the first ranger to notice the car, which was originally reported as around 8 a.m. Okay. According to him, he found the car with the keys in the ignition and a folded set of clothing in the back seat. Huh. Other reports state that Keith's keys were allegedly located on the driver's seat. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, what I'm about, uh, let me go ahead and go through what he saw. Uh, he said that a watch and an eyeglass case were on the dashboard. On the back seat, there was a man's wallet with $12 inside of it. Then there was clothing in the back seat. It was almost all of Keith's clothing, along with Cassandra's top, her bra, and one of her brown boots. Huh. Her purse was on the passenger side floor. Cassandra's wallet was missing. However, her checkbook was still in the purse. Now, Keith's shoes, wallet, and an alligator belt were also in the back seat. Some of Cassandra's jewelry, however, was never found and has never been accounted for. The glove box was open, and the passenger side door was locked. Ranger Seeger had discovered, like we said, Cassandra's checkbook in the purse and had called the Haley household in Grafton to see if she was there and perhaps, you know, could explain why the, what happened to the car, if it had broke down or something, and why it was parked there. Right. And, of course, her family's like, no, she's not home. So he also called the Call family's house mm -hmm. because he had found Keith's wallet. Mm -hmm. And, of course, no one knew where Keith was there either. Right. So I want to stop right here for just a second. First of all, I'm going to go ahead and warn you, you're about to get really pissed off. Please tell me they did not move that car. Please, uh, you're about to get really pissed off, Please okay? Please they did not <laughs> move that car. Just let me tell you. I just want you to know that ahead of time. So don't go off a rail here. <laughs> but we need to stop here and discuss why that car and its contents look different when Mr. Cole found the car at 7 a.m. than it did when Ranger Seeger found the car about an hour because later. Because somebody come and put the stuff back in there. Now, for years, no one could explain this discrepancy. Oh, well, it's pretty freaking simple. <laughs> Mr. Call, he even he went so far as to go under hypnosis to see if he could remember the items that were later found in the car, being in the car when he found it. But because he swear he swore those items were not in that car when he found it, or he would have known something was wrong. I was fixing to say if Keith's clothes had have been in there and the keys had have been in there, he would have known. Okay, something's happened right. to my child. Right. He he died. He went to his grave swearing he did not see those items in that car. I believe the father. Yes. So why the discrepancy? Well, <laughs> there's several reasons, but I'm the not, main one I'm could be. I'm about to tell you what the, why there was a discrepancy. Okay? Now, according to Danny Plott, who was a Virginia State Police detective who worked this case, um, he was actually, he didn't work the case when it happened, but he was part of a task force years later 
that okay. was looking back over these murders. So we got rid of those police officers and had to get some more yeah. to work on it. Okay. Now, at some point, the park rangers found the car. Yeah. And it was before Mr. Call found the car. They gathered up some of the belongings, presumably to find out, to find identification, and left the vehicle where it was. Okay? Quote, This is why park rangers do not need to touch stuff. <laughs> Quote, The park rangers were the first ones there. They And with Call and Haley, they admit that they thought it was an abandoned vehicle and they inventoried it. Oh, my Jesus. Then they realized... Oh gosh, this might not be an abandoned vehicle after they got to the after they made the phone calls. And by one of the rangers' own admission, now remember this did not come out till years later. <laughs> they tried to put the stuff back where they had found it. Are you kidding? <laughs> they didn't oh want anything God. to do with it. And Well then why did they move it? Because they didn't, they thought it was an abandoned car. And then when they call these households and they're like, no, these kids aren't here. We don't know where they are. They're like, oh, okay. shit. Okay. <laughs> they're like, oh, fuck. It's we probably fucked up because <laughs> this is a crime scene. <laughs> right. But So they didn't tell anybody that this is what they did. I mean, and, and even Plot says, I don't understand why... At least one of them didn't just say, hey, we're in over our heads here Let's call and tell everything. Else. Yeah. You know, he said, I'm sure they were embarrassed, but at some point, you got to say, look, this is what happened. But they tried to stage it and tried to put it back the way they had found it. Okay. I can see going in there and getting the name out of the wallet. Mm-hmm. To, you know, try and see if you can locate these people. Okay, I get that. Right. But you don't move. Why did you need to move their clothes and everything else? They took everything. So I mean, what, why? So what Plot is saying is that, of course, the Rangers had had to have found the car before Mr. Call found it at 7 a.m. So, first of all, they lied about the time they found the car originally. They took some of the contents, like the clothing, the keys, the wallet, checkbook, all that. I am not understanding. I mean, I can, okay, I can see taking the wallet out looking for a name. Right. I can see looking through the purse looking for a name. Right. Why have you got to touch that other stuff? I don't know. Of course, when they realized that both Keith and Cassandra were unaccounted for, they went back and tried to put Staged everything back. Staged a crime back. scene. Staged a crime scene. Absolutely. Restaged it. Never bothering to tell Mr. Call that they had done that. And never, by, never thinking that, okay, there could have been point, evidence. Right. By doing that, they managed to contaminate that whole crime scene not once, but twice. Exactly. And Mr. Cole, bless his heart, he wondered for the rest of his life how he could have missed that clothing in the back seat. And I, I just think that it shows such a complete lack of integrity on the part of those rangers. It shows I a mean, lot of stupidity. Just man up and say you just assumed it was abandoned and you were <clears throat> trying to find the owners. Just say it. But th that still doesn't explain why they had to move the clothes, the watch, and the eyeglass, everything. I don't know. And The wallet and the purse? Okay, I get that. Right. I get that. Right. But my thing is... If you come up on a scene like that and somebody's broke down and abandoned the car, nobody's going to leave their damn purse and wallet and car keys in the damn car. No, they're not. 
So that that should have been their first clue. Right. But they, even if it wasn't, they shouldn't have touched any of right. that stuff. Nothing but the wallet right. and the purse to try and find a name. I get that. I mean, that. there should have been red flags all over this red car. <laughs> you know, I mean... Because, I mean, just like Mr. Call said, if he would have seen that setup when he got there, he would have immediately known something was wrong. Right. Which... Because your son's not going to go for a walk in the woods naked. Right. Right. And leave his car keys in his car. Right. And his wallet just sitting on the seat. And her purse just sitting in the seat. No, they're not going to do that. So these rangers purposely, willingly, without regard for any investigative procedures, they just flat out lied to the FBI, and that just blows my mind. And nothing ever happened to them. No. And in fact, according to Plot, there was one FBI agent who told him that he felt that one of the rangers may have had something to do with it. He also stated... See, I wondered that. When you said those two rangers and then they had gone back to the crime scene twice, I'm wondering if it's not all a lie. And they were at that crime scene twice. I don't know. But there's a different reason that they were at that crime scene twice. Now, Plot said that he that he thinks some in the FBI thought one or more of the park rangers were behind it. And I can understand why he would think that. Why they would think that. The whole that. country should think that. I mean, especially years later when they find out this information. <clears throat> Okay, because it's just... I just don't see any park ranger. I mean, because park rangers have a sense enough to know they're not dumb people. They're not dumb. Just like game warden, you've got sense enough to know when you come up and see something like that, okay, something's not right. Right. If the people aren't right there near the car in the general area... Or you didn't see them walking down the street or something. Something's up. Even if your car's abandoned, if your car breaks down... I'm not going to leave all my clothes, my wallet... You I might have, have extra clothes in the car, but you're not going to leave the keys in the car, and you're not going to leave your wallet, and you're not going to leave your purse. No. You're just not. And you're just not. If they'd have called the police department, they could have told them from the tag <laughs> who owned the freaking car. <laughs> right. They it's never even ran, had to go in it. Them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> stupid. So, back to that morning. Other rangers gathered at the scene, as did members of the family when they why, would find why, it okay, out. Why are the, just make the rangers go away. <laughs> and the media started showing up. Make the media go away. <laughs> You're about to get mad again. <laughs> I do not like the media <laughs> at all. Now, according to Terry Haley, who was Cassandra's older sister, who also happens to be a law enforcement officer. Oh, shit. I bet she, she got, I bet she is pissed about what those park rangers did. She stated the rangers did not have the scene locked down at all. You think? That they uh, were well, letting... no, of course they didn't have it locked down because they contaminated the scene <laughs> themselves. Contaminated they the didn't care. They were letting anybody and everybody walk all over the crime scene. Open, hey, this is a cool car. Let me right. sit down in it a minute. <laughs> and she just could not comprehend how the park rangers were managing this crime scene. Because it was just an open area, nothing closed off, nothing, the media, family, everybody was just walking everywhere. And I understand the family wanting to be well, there. Well, I mean, but especially you also since the park under- rangers aren't telling them that they can't. Because from what Thomas, I mean, Bill Thomas has said, which is Kathy Thomas's brother, he went and visited these scenes some years ago. 
Uh, he was actually talking to a man w- that was in the media that was at the, her, his sister's crime scene. Mm-hmm. And he said it was the same thing, that people were walking everywhere. Yeah, that's they what were, I'm that, saying. It wasn't locked down, that there were people all over the place at that crime scene as well. So, I mean... The, everything was... Now, I can see with the first murders going in the car to check and see if these girls are alive. Yes. Well, yeah, I that one, see, that one, uh, yeah. I can see even in the second one going in, okay, is there a wallet here? Do we know who's calling? Right. But then again, you might not want to touch it because you can get that information off the tag right. by calling right. the station. And especially the way and the third one, the David's same truck way. was found with the yeah. door open, the radio, I mean... And this one with clothes laying in the back, a wallet back there. Okay, I don't need to touch this. Let me call this tag in and see who it belongs to. The clothes to. wouldn't bother me so much as the wallet and keys and purse still in there. Because you could have extra clothes in the back seat. I mean, it's just, I mean, this is just blatant disregard for anything. Yeah. So the park rangers, they immediately came up with a theory. Let me guess. <laughs> one that conveniently fit the evidence they saw. Do you want okay? Guess what the theory is? It's another one. You're of them, never gonna guess. It's go another ahead. one. It's another one of them fishermen come up. <laughs> <laughs> a waterman. Yeah. <laughs> You're going with the waterman theory. Well, they've gone with that with everything else. So why not? <laughs> Their theory was that Keith and Cassandra had come to the parkway to make out. No, because they weren't getting along. And had then decided to go skinny dipping. Really. This is the story. In they a have river. Made, this is the story <laughs> they immediately released to the press. But the press, along with the families, they weren't buying that. Thank you. They had already drawn the conclusion, as had the family, that these murders were possibly that they that Keith and Cassandra had probably been murdered, and that it was connected to the Thomasdowski murders. So let's go. Yeah, over, duh. Let's go over the reasons that this theory makes absolutely let me, let me no guess. sense. They went skinny dipping <laughs> in a raging river and got washed down river and drowned. Basically, yes, that's their theory. Duh. Okay, so, so that's just you trying to cover up <laughs> exactly. that you fucked up. Exactly, that's all that is. First of all, they still wouldn't leave their wallet and their keys in the car. First, well, if they were going skinny dipping, they wouldn't have anywhere to put it. <laughs> Oh, there's places you could put it. <laughs> the keys especially. <laughs> Ew. Man, that'd be, hard. that'd be rough. It'd be rough, but... <laughs> it's been done. It has been done with several different objects. <laughs> anyway, digressing. I digress. First of all, it was Virginia in April. So it had been cold the night before. Plus, the water would have been even colder. I looked it up. <laughs> the water temperature that time of year usually averages around 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 12 degrees Celsius. And your body reaches hypothermia under 60 degrees. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, no, they would not have gone skinny dipping. Second of all, where they parked at the York River overlook, They would have had to walk through the woods, over the river, and through the woods to get to the river. The embankment was well over 20 feet down a steep well, angle. Well, let's pull off at the hardest place we can to go skinny dipping. Right, even in the daylight. But so we can get hypothermia in this cold water. Even in the daylight, navigates an almost straight down drop. So that would have been tricky to get down even in, well, no, in during the quick, day. It would be quick to get down. <laughs> Let alone if they were naked, walking in the cold and in the dark. Getting out of the river, being cold and <laughs> hypothermic, trying to climb up that would have been the hard part. 
<laughs> True, that probably would have been harder. That's why they were never found. Third of all, we all know that from people who attended that party that Keith and Cassandra were obviously not, not getting, getting along. All right. They spent the entire time at the party apart talking to other people. I'm wondering why they pulled in there, though. I don't think they did, but we'll get to that okay. in a little bit. So, I mean, I know we'll question, never know. My but. question is, how in the span of at the most 30 minutes, at the absolute most, do you go from not even speaking to deciding to go make out, get naked, and, and then up. go skinny dipping? Yeah, for real. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. They really, they really started talking. <laughs> After they left that, that party, must have been they got, kind she of got a little bit of alcohol in her, and she loosened up a little bit, and wasn't as uptight. And hey, you know things happen. Yeah, you know, you know, that doesn't make logical sense no, it doesn't. at all. Because they were not getting along, they were not going to stop and go it skinny dipping. It was only dipping. thirty minutes at the most. Thirty minutes later, and probably only around fifteen. I'm minutes wondering later. too. I know you have a theory, but I'm wondering if they pulled off because she had been drinking, and maybe she got sick. Maybe. I'm just saying. Yeah. That could have been a reason they were. But they didn't go skinny dipping. No, they did not. In April in Virginia. They did not go skinny dipping. Now. (laughs) I'm just thinking about that hill getting down it. The hard part is going to be getting back up when you're hypothermic. And and it's like there's places like within a mile of on other turnouts where there's a beach that you just walk straight to the river. So why would you park there at the hardest spot? Because that would be too easy. <laughs> they like, they the like a challenge. challenge. <laughs> Why? I mean, it doesn't make fucking sense. Now, Susan Scott, who was Cassandra's best friend, she is adamant that Cassandra would never have gone down that embankment to go skinny dipping. Well, apparently she tried to go down with her shoe, one shoe on, because <laughs> there was only one shoe. She had one shoe on and was completely naked except for one poop. Well, no, she had her pants on. No, she didn't. I thought she would have. No, she would have been all of her. It was all of her clothes. I thought you said it was just her top and one of her boots and all of Keith's clothes. So no, I missed something then because she would have been naked. All except for one boot. All except for one boot. I missed the I and missed her jewelry. The, and you know, her jewelry. girl's got to have her jewelry. Yeah, she would have had her jewelry or not. <laughs> she would have had her jewelry and one boot. And she on. took her wallet. I don't mean to laugh, but it's such a ridiculous thing to even say. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Now, Susan also says that Cassandra would never have gone up there to park because she hated the parkway anyway. She did not like it. She thought it was creepy. She thought it was scary. Four right. people have been murdered up there. <laughs> well, not on not, now. Well, Keith, close. I mean, David and Robin. Yeah, they were about twenty minutes away. But anyway, she also said that there was no way in hell Keith would have ever gotten her to park on that parkway, and that even if he would have talked her into going somewhere to park, it wouldn't have been there. It would have been behind the church, right? <laughs> <laughs> she knows. She knows that spot that David knows. Well. You mentioned earlier we were not trying to make it funny. We're not laughing at the victims. We're laughing at how ridiculous ridiculous this story story sounds. That the park rangers are trying to come up with is. And I don't think they thought, this is what we'll do. We'll just tell them they must have went skinny dipping. They didn't think that through. That's how stupid they were. Susan also said that, because Susan was at the party, 
She said that when Cassandra and Keith were leaving the party, Cassandra told her that they were going home. That was their plan to go straight home because yeah. she was had to. She had told her mom she would be home, and that again after that night, after the night they were having, she just didn't see them going anywhere to park because yeah. it just wasn't I mean, going well. I mean, because if they went to that party and were having a good night, I mean, it's a college party. Come on, right. people. They would. They wouldn't have had to have gone anywhere to park at a college party. Well, they would have at least spoken to each other. They least, were having yeah. a- <laughs> hey, how you doing over there? I mean, <laughs> you least, still you still good? At least speak to each other. Yeah, I mean, so still the Rangers. Uh, most uh, most everybody knows how college parties are. Though. Right. They would not have had to have stopped in park. Right. So the Rangers, they were holding firm on their belief that you keep you. You know what? You go with it. That's your story, and you're sticking, sticking to it. I'm, you roll with it. <laughs> I'm proud of you for sticking to something, because God knows you didn't stick to you anything else. you got conviction else. about this theory you've got. So they impounded Keith's car and had it taken off-site for further analysis. No one from the National Park Service bothered to contact the FBI, who has jurisdiction in that area. As well, we know of from course episode they did. one. Of course they did not contact them because they <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> now, FBI agent John Mabry, who y'all remember had worked the Thomas Dowski case, he actually heard a news report on the radio, and that's how the FBI, FBI found out about Keith and Cassandra's disappearance. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm kidding you. Hey, let's leave the FBI out of this <laughs> Because if the FBI comes, they're definitely not going to believe our skinny-dipping story. Well, you're right, because they did not. Well, no, I hope nobody did. So, agents... If the news media didn't believe it, you can bet nobody <laughs> believed that. Well, now, the news media was reporting it, because that's what they were being told. I didn't say that they were, weren't reporting it. But they reporting. didn't believe it. I can but see that reporter now. Well, they're saying they were going skinny-dipping, <laughs> but... Now, so FBI agents were dispatched to the crime scene. FBI agent Irvin Wells would say years later that the ranger's behavior was odd in his opinion. Quote, from the way they handled the car to how they reacted to the FBI's presence. So we run into these guys and they're defensive and they act like suspects. Because they they want you to believe their skinny dipping (laughs) story and nobody will believe them. They were just such a strange ilk. I don't know what that means. It wasn't ilk. (laughs) People in Virginia. (laughs) If y'all know what an ilk is. They weren't like brothers in law enforcement. They were like, who are you? They were so odd that we were thinking, well, we believe there was an authority (laughs) figure because let's say say in Call Haley, somebody had to initially take control of these couples. Even in Dowski Thomas... Somebody had to take control because they fought back and then awful things happened. I still think there were two. I don't think that one man could have taken control of those women, Wells said. But anyway, these park rangers, they were just odd and uncooperative. Are these the same park rangers that found all the rest of them? I think, no. This was, because remember the first one there was um, Seeger. And he's not the one that found, he wasn't the first park ranger that responded the to other? the Thomas Dowski okay. location. I, I was just wondering, you know, the reason he found him, he was already there. No. <laughs> hey, uh. That's real convenient. Hey, uh, dispatch, uh, <laughs> I got a problem here. 
Now, law enforcement assumed that Keith and Cassandra, or the remains of Keith and Cassandra, had, to be, the river. had to be nearby. So they brought in search hounds and a search and rescue, rescue group, and they did individual searches for each one of them. Right, you have to, because yeah. those hounds, they can't right. follow two, two tracks trails, at right. one time. The team that scented one of Cassandra's garments, they headed west alongside the parkway nearly a mile to Indian Field Creek. Then they led the team to the landward side of the bridge. Well, that's the problem. When they went skinny dipping, they didn't go to the river. They went to the creek. I mean, for real. See, that's where they messed up. (laughs) This actually took them past the place where Kathy Thomas and Rebecca Dowski had been found, past that turnout, because it was about a mile away from the turnout that Keith and Keith's car was found at. Okay. Now, the dogs tried to enter the water at Indian Field Creek. That's because that's where her body was. And they stopped shortly after getting in the water. They just stopped. Because they can't trace over water. Now, they can. Now, they can trace as far, they can trace over water, well, but it they, just they stopped can't, there. Well, they can't trace over water. How they do it is is they get in the water and they start sniffing the other side to pick it back up. Water doesn't hold scent like that. Well, they can pick up cadavers in water. Well, a cadaver will hold scent. But so, not anyway. Just somebody walking through a creek, yeah. that, that's not going to stay there. Now, the other team that was following the scent from Keith's, call, from Keith's, Keith's clothing, easy for me to say, also went west, but at a more, much shorter distance. They turned right to the river and followed the shoreline back to the overlook. Hmm. Now, high tide at that time of year was at 4.15 a.m. So, the narrow beach where the uh, where the trail for Cassandra led, it would have been underwater between about 2 a.m. to about 7.30 a.m. Yeah. And the handler of the dog trailing Cassandra... <clears throat> He thought that the water would have moved the scent up into the rocks. Right. So he was fairly confident that his dogs had been on a solid trail. He just thinks that it, that because of the water, the high tide, that the water had moved it further up. Right, yeah. Now, the way that both sets of dogs went after the scent indicated that it was a strong scent, making it unlikely they were following a trail that had not been walked on by either Keith or Cassandra. So the dog handlers are pretty sure that Keith and Cassandra her one boot. were either walking along there or were drugged drug or, or something. They had, they had been there on that trail. Right. Okay. Suppo- yeah, that's, that's what the dog handlers thought. <clears throat> now, this, these search dogs were also trained not only for tracking, but in cadaver search as well. Right. Most, most of them are. Right. So three of the dogs were taken out in a boat to see if they could follow the scent any further. All three definitely indicated they had picked up the scent of a dead body in the same two spots on the water. So divers were called in, and they waded into the water, but they didn't find anything. Well, they could have washed down, but they were still smelling the scent of the cadaver. Now, the dogs had detected a dead body in the water, and that was all that the handlers could confirm. They couldn't say whether it was the scent of the two victims. Right. It's all, just, they could all, say all they could was say it was a dead body. Right. So, the York County Fire and Rescue Team, they then launched a two-day effort to search the York River. They had a helicopter searching the shoreline. They had groups of volunteers that were led by park rangers that searched the woods in the area from where the car was found all the way down to the Cheatham Annex, which was the Navy installation there. Mm-hmm. That was 
you know, not far from where Kathy and Becky were from. Right. The FBI also brought in an airplane to help in the search because they were, the fear was that if the bodies had been caught up in the current, then they could wash into the Chesapeake Bay and then just straight out to sea and they'd, and then be, they'd gone. be gone. Yeah. So there was an extensive search done in this area, but they didn't find anything. Now, by late Monday, the water search on the York River was called off. Okay. Now, they continued to search by air. Um, and by Monday evening, the story was changing. The rangers had kind of given up on their skinny-dipping story. Uh, well, duh, I would... <laughs> and that's really? because everybody, including the families, the press, Nobody the FBI had debunked you. this. That there was, this was not a viable theory. Even the FBI is like, no, we do not believe that's what happened. <laughs> they, the rangers stated that there was no evidence of foul play or violence to suggest the two were killed. Keith's car was processed, fingerprinted, and checked for more evidence. But because the rangers had let God and everybody touch the car in the surrounding crime There's scene, not really any way to say. It would be tricky to perform, use, to perform any useful and not analysis the, and not on the fact, And besides the fact that they went in there and pretty much destroyed the crime scene when they went and pulled everything out <laughs> of it. Now, family members who might have touched the car and the park rangers were fingerprinted to rule out some of the prints that had been found. The clothing was inspected, and there was no indication of blood on the clothes. And they were saying that that offered kind of a glimmer of hope that the clothing had been removed, that when the clothing had been removed, that they were both still alive. Well, yeah. I mean, but that, not necessarily. necessarily. Right. That's just, I guess that's what the there's other were way, There's other ways to kill people without there being blood. Yeah. There was also no indication of blood in the car anywhere. So... The FBI began to formulate its own theory. The FBI's theory was that Keith and Cassandra went to the parkway to make out. They were killed and disposed of locally there at the parkway. I don't think they stopped there to make out. The presence of the beer cans on the back seat floor was explained as the two kids parking and having a few drinks. The missing clothing was off, they said, due to the two about to do more than just make out. The fact that Cassandra's door was locked, her wallet missing, and Keith's door left ajar, they thought allowed for a scenario where someone posing as an authority figure had approached the vehicle. They think that they asked for driver's licenses, and that's why the wallet and the um the wallet was out, and that the killer took control of his victims marched them off somewhere along the parkway, and murdered them. Their bodies were either disposed of in the York River or were still left to be found there in the brush somewhere. So this is the theory that the FBI is working I with. Think I, a part of it maybe, but I think they're wrong on a lot of things. I just, this one, I got, like, I go back and forth. On all of these murders, I go back and forth I on mean, what I, I think. I guess they could have changed their minds and said, let's fool around. Even though they don't like, sense. even though they didn't like each other, I guess they could have. I guess maybe Cassandra had had some stuff to drink. But Susan, when she said she didn't say that Cassandra was drunk, drunk. or anything. But I mean, I guess they could have. I, I mean, mean I guess on their way home, in in a fifteen minute period. Well, I mean, I guess they could have spur of the moment. I don't know. I'm not saying they did. I'm just saying maybe it's possible. I mean, it, anything's possible. It just doesn't seem likely. It from doesn't the, seem likely from what we've heard. Now, both Keith and Cassandra's families and friends, they insisted that there was no way they would willingly go to the parkway. 
Keith's father, Richard, he told the press that Keith was leery of that parkway and that he had made statements before that he didn't like to go out there. And according to Susan Scott, again, Cassandra's friend, she hated the parkway and she especially hated it at night because hated it at night because she thought it was just a spooky place to be. Right. Which a lot of people in that area were, you know, leery of that place at night because Well, you know. people keep getting killed. <laughs> I'd be a little bit leery too. <laughs> well, actually locals were kind of leery of that place even before the those first murders because you know, people were out there partying. They were, they're making, you know, just, it, it was just not a nice place to be at night. And locals kind of just did steer, stay clear of it at night because there were things going on out there. Now, there were also other things about this theory that didn't sit right with the families. <clears throat> First was that the clothing was, the clothing that was missing, Keith would have been shoeless. Cassandra would have been entirely naked with just one boot, like, <laughs> one we said, like we said earlier. So you're telling me that someone marched them off down the road like that. Like, you would take a chance on being seen like that. Because if somebody comes by, you can't tell and me you're that that would behind somebody that's, that's completely, completely naked, naked wearing a boot. Somebody's going to stop or call <laughs> somebody and say, something ain't right here. Right. Because you can't tell me that wouldn't look suspicious. Uh, yeah. And also, the thought that they had been possibly in the process of making love didn't add up with the clothing that was recovered. It just, uh, the families both agreed that the two must have been abducted between the party and the parkway. And I think I tend to agree. But where? Maybe they stopped somewhere? Well, there, is, there are reports that are unverified that they were seen at a convenience store. That they had stopped at a convenience store around 2.15 in that morning. Okay. Now, that's not substantiated anywhere. It's just rep been reported. Okay. So, I can't tell you that that's a, a fact. I can only tell you that there are reports that they were Well, I were could see them after leaving the party, though, stopping at a convenience store. And grabbing a drink or something. Oh, yeah. Or some gas or whatever. I mean, I just, I, from what, I just don't know. First of all, it doesn't make sense to me that they would go there to make out. That's the part I cannot resign myself to. I don't to. think they did. I think the FBI's way off on that one. Right. Now, it's, I think it's just possible that the car was dumped there. But that then again, that doesn't explain the scent, that the trail that the dogs picked up. Unless... Unless the car was dumped there, but they did take their bodies over there and drug them through there. Yeah, but the way they're talking about this, the way this scent went for Cassandra, she would have been, had to be, had to have been drugged down the side of the road. And you can't tell me that somebody would do that would take Unless a chance was, of doing that. I don't know. Unless they walked them by gunpoint. Yeah. But in any case, if they were... For the car to be dumped there, to be just dumped, that means that at least two people had to be involved. Yeah. Because somebody had to drive another a getaway vehicle there. Yeah. So that would mean that at least two people had to have been involved in this. Maybe they were there. Like I said, I go back and forth on this. I don't know. 
Now, I do well, know. Now, he said that it was possible that the trunk was open. Maybe they had a flat tire. Well, there, there was no indication of that. But, I mean, as so many people had walked around it. Yeah, I but mean, they're going to see yeah, a flat tire. But if they'd have gotten the tire changed. Well, they're still going to see a flat tire. The I flat tire know. would be in the trunk. Maybe they didn't realize it was flat when they saw it. Yeah. I do know that there was no sign of a struggle at the crime scene, and there was no indication that they were ever there other than the car being left there and the scent trail. Well, now, that scent trail could have been a lot of things. It could have been those missing clothes. It could have been. I don't I don't know. That's, that's the part with me, because I tend to think that the car was just dumped there, but this scent trail with the dogs is messing me up because I'm not 100% sure... But if, now that that if some, if it was detective. somebody walking with their like having something in their hand, but I mean you got to know that Cassandra's went almost a mile, and I don't think that somebody's going to walk her down the road a mile with no clothes on. No. That doesn't make sense. There was something else going on there. They drugged something or something, to, or either, or they drove the car that way. Yeah, which would have had their scent on it, right? It just, and and the fact that Keith's scent goes a short distance to the river and then turns back, going back toward the car, that doesn't make sense either. Right, because they were dragging something that had his scent on it. Why, though? Why were they to going throw to throw him off? Well, I don't think that, I don't think that whoever did this would have thought that far ahead. I don't know. I think they would have. I think it's just weird. Because I don't see somebody walking somebody down the road no. at one point a mile no, I'm and them being naked. I'm not arguing that I'm just that saying point. that 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 makes the me only think that other... the scent didn't that the scent trail didn't come from them actually walking. No, it. it they were. I either, don't think that it. They did. They were either drug in like a bag or something, or some of their clothes were drugged through there. Or something. Because, I mean, if you saw somebody dragging, like, a jacket behind them, you wouldn't really think too much about that. Yeah, I guess not. I just find it odd. It's That's, odd, but, I mean, you the wouldn't... The scent trail thing is messing me up you bad wouldn't, in this but case. But if you saw that driving by, you wouldn't call the cops on that because... That, yeah, I mean, even I mean, though it looks weird, it's not something <laughs> it's you would It's the Colonial Parkway at night. Weird right. <laughs> Plus, you don't know that two people are missing, so... It's right. It's really strange. Now, the Monday after Keith and Cassandra's disappearance, the Times-Herald and the Daily Press, they both suggested in their evening editions that the missing youths could be connected not only to the murders of Kathy Thomas and Rebecca Dowski, but also to the murders of Robin Edwards and David Nobley. Now, it wasn't that law enforcement had, had not arrived at that same possible conclusion. It's just that they were refusing to acknowledge that publicly, at least at first. Okay. Now, about a week and a half after the disappearances, the FBI <laughs> did acknowledge that there was it was possible that there was a connection. It's not possible. There's a connection. I don't know for sure that there is, I, and we'll go into that later. But I think there is. I'm not convinced 100% that any of these are connected, but we will get into that later. Not this episode, but <laughs> in... In, in a later episode. In a galaxy far, far, far away. <laughs> in a time in the near future. Now, on April 14th, a Virginia State Police helicopter spotted a body floating about 300 yards offshore. A boater had spotted it at first, describing that there was a head floating in the York River. 
It's a head. They caught a guard, sent a boat, and sent in a boat and recovered the body. Now, this was about two and a half miles from where Keith's car had been found. Okay. The body was that of a man. It was badly decomposed to the point that it was... Unrecognizable. Yeah, and they thought that it could have been in the water for several weeks. Okay. He was wearing a short, waist-length leather jacket, brown-colored slacks, and tennis shoes. Now, the victim, it turned out, was a civilian mariner who had been missing for two to three weeks from a, fisherman. from a Navy-operated ship. It was the fisherman. Mm-hmm. It was. They had been moored at Cheethamanex. His crewmen reported him missing, but no one was concerned enough to mount a search for him. Oh, the sharks ate him. Yeah. The body was recovered at the mouth of Felgates Creek, which, like, that's kind of close to where Cassandra's sent went, where it had come to rest on a sand spot. In two weeks, it had drifted less than a half mile from where he had been thought to have fallen or jumped in the water. And I'm bringing that up to say this. Because of the cadaver dogs. If that, well, that too, I'm sure that's probably what they were smelling. That's what they were smelling. But if that body had only drifted less than half a mile in two weeks, they would have found. I think that if Keith and Cassandra went in the York River near where that car was found, then they would have been found. Yeah. Because of all the extensive searching they were doing there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The only way they might not have been is if there'd have been like a real bad storm that turned the river up to make the current stronger. But that would have been the only way. Well, then his body would have gone further, too. Oh, that's true. I mean, I'm just saying. And it could be that those dogs were mistaken on the central. Well, I think that the dog, it, it could, I don't know. I think I mean, that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty not, sure that it's this guy that the cadaver, when they were out there searching for oh, yeah, cadavers, yeah, yeah. they were smelling. But I'm talking about the scent trail. I yeah. mean, they're dogs. They're, they can get confused. Well, I don't know. I don't know what, that's the whole thing. That's this, this scent trail thing is throwing me off. Bad I think you just need case. to throw the scent trail off because honestly, I don't think there's any, anything but to it. But you can't, you can't just throw it out. Because, I mean, that stuff works. I mean, it's not... It works, but it could be that... <clears throat> my, I mean, not that my point is. They used a piece of the clothing from the car. Right. For these dogs. Right. How many people had touched those clothing before those dogs got them? Well, true. So it could be that... Who had they, been walking... But would it follow them a mile down the road? It could. It could. But... My point is, is their scent could have been on those clothes. Yeah. And, and that would make walked. sense for Keith's scent trail to me, that people were just walking around that area. And that's, why, and that's why the scent turned back and went up back toward the car. But what I'm saying is that somebody could have touched even Cassandra's Well, that's what I'm saying. And even still that per- walked that far. Why would they walk that far? Just though? looking to see if they could see them. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Because what I'm saying is the dogs might not have necessarily have been following Keith's and what was her name? Cassandra. Cassandra's scent. Could have been somebody else's scent that walked down through there. That had touched the clothes. That had touched the clothes. I did not think about that. But the That's why I'm saying... And they were following a scent. That's true. And that would make sense why Keith's... Would go back up to the car. Would go back up toward the car. So that's why I'm saying you have to throw that out. Yeah. 
Well, then I'm back to my theory that the car was just dumped there and they were killed somewhere else. There you go. <laughs> there you go, people. I have I have solved that mystery. See, that's what common sense does for you. <laughs> because other people had touched those clothes. Yeah, and you don't know. By their own many, admission. Yeah, and you don't know how many people had touched them. Really, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, because it wasn't a closed crime scene. Right. People were just going through the car, going around everywhere. So you don't know. That's true. And if I'm the parents of that child... I'm going to walk as far as I can to see if I can see my child. That's true. That's so, true. So, you have to think about that. That's true. That's a good point. I'll give you that one. Good, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, the FBI were trying anything to attempt to gain new evidence. And this is my favorite part of this whole story. Uh-oh. Okay? <laughs> I, lo- I love this. <laughs> what did they do? I just find it amazingly what awesome. What have you done? So, like we said in episode one, Camp Perry, the CIA's farm training facility, mm-hmm. it, you know, backed up to the parkway. Yeah. Now, the FBI got the idea of asking the Russians if they might oh, be able to help. Jesus. As everyone knows during this time, the U.S. and the Soviet Union were still in the height of the Cold War, and it was pretty much common knowledge that the two countries were using satellite images to spy on each other. And since the area where Keith and Cassandra disappeared was near the CIA's training facility, they thought that maybe the Russians, of course, were they knew that the Russians were keeping an eye on it, so they thought, well, maybe they've got footage from that night. So the FBI actually contacted Russian authorities and said, look, we know there's sat- we know you have this satellite photography. We know you're watching the place. That's, we're not, that's worried. Not, we're not, that's worried not a about question. We're, we know that you are. We know that you're doing it. All we want is the footage on the day of these disappearances. If you could give us your photographs, we will never make them public. We're just trying to find out what happened to these two kids. And, of course, the Russians were like, fuck off. Like, no, man. (laughs) Ain't happening. And I'm sure the Russians didn't trust that there were just innocent reasons that they wanted these photographs. I mean, because, no, because. Because, I mean, just the way things were. You know how it was. I mean, mean, well, even today, if you called Russia and said, we know you've got satellites, (laughs) which they do. We need some footage. Uh, No. Yeah. (laughs) And especially in 1988. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, I I mean, even even today, even though Putin is a non- Putin. 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 I love that name. Putin on you. I mean, he's just this nonchalant asshole. He's not going (laughs) to give it to him. Even though he doesn't give a shit if they know what he's doing or not. Right. But, I mean, it blows my mind. That these two kids have been missing. Because they never found. They have, to this day, have never found any trace of because Keith Because they're Cassandra. looking in the wrong spot. That's, my, that's, that's what I think, too. That's why I think the car was just dumped there. And, that they were and I have thrown the out spot. the um, scent trail thing. So. <laughs> that's not throwing me off anymore. Cause there you're right. you go. <laughs> that's not messing me up like glad it was I, before. Glad I could help. <laughs> Thanks. That's, what you're, that's your job that's here. That's what I'm here for. But... It just blows my mind that these two kids have been missing all these years. And the key to solving, I'm sure they were murdered. And the key to solving their murders and maybe other murders may be in a storage compartment somewhere in Russia. (laughs) Well, that's true. I I mean, I bet you there is something. I 
bet you there's something on those you satellite might, pictures. You might could get a hold of Putin today, and he might give it to you from I, back from I mean, back I then. Wonder, I wonder if they've asked since then. From Is back. It, from back then, Putin would be like, yeah, sure. I, I mean, care. I can understand the Russians saying no back then. It was 1988. The Cold War was still hit. I mean, that was the height of it. I can understand. But has anybody tried asking since then? I'm going to tell you, Vladimir Putin would probably tell him, give it to him. I don't give a shit what they know. Because he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't give a shit. He does not give a shit. <laughs> but that is one man I do not ever want to piss off. But, I mean... Shout out to all our Russian listeners. That's right. We got a lot of them over there. Love you guys. Thank yes. you. But, guys, if you know where your government stores old satellite pictures, if you could please go, get them. go find out for us. Go get them. Because, honestly, it's very possible that the key to solving all of this... a lot of those murders that happened in the 80s, the Russians have probably got... <laughs> Pictures of all of it. They're just sitting up there laughing. <laughs> they could have saw they it. Might probably, they might probably don't even know what they're looking at. They don't. They probably don't because they probably just think it's somebody just. But I bet you that they do have footage of something. They have. I mean, it's right there. You know they're spying on that CIA on the farm. Oh, yeah. And the CIA oh, yeah. training facility. I mean, it's the CIA. Of course. Not that... Of course they're spying on it. But I'll keep my mouth shut. But of course they've got pictures of it. Of course they've had it under surveillance 24-7. But did they have that Well, they had to have the whole area there. Because but, it's from a satellite. I mean, I mean, I get it. I would from think a that satellite. they've got. They, there's, the, the, you got to look. Just check. Just check. You got to look and see. I, this is what I would have said. Well, can you just look and check and see and just let us know right, if there's anything right. on there? But, of course, the Russians were... Pro- I'm sure they were suspicious as hell. If you got- well, yeah, I mean, because they're asking for pictures. They went right. about it the wrong way. What they should have done is said, can you look at it? Right. We and know you've got it. And if you see anything, can you tell us what you're seeing besides what you're spying on the CIA for? Right. But then anything I guess the FBI's point is, well, we need those photos. But you can't do it that way with them in the middle of a war. <laughs> It was, I mean, it, it, I guess it, it was, was a war. It was a war. It was, war. A, it it was, was a, no firing, no guns or anything going on. It was just, let's that see. That's why it's called the Cold War. Let's see who can have the most things that go boom, basically. basically. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but, I mean, that just blows my mind that there's possibly photographs in storage somewhere in Russia that have the answers that we're all looking for. If there is anybody that works with the, like, <laughs> Russian government that's listening to us... <laughs> Please. Wait, just look. Just look. Do me a favor. You ain't even got to send us the picture. Just look and say, hey, yeah, there's something on there. That's all you yes. got to do. The night going night of April 9th going into the morning of April 10th, 1988. Yeah. That's all we, we need, need. We need that footage between the hours of probably anywhere from 1.30 a.m. Till 7 a.m. the till, next morning. Yes. Because that's when his father found the car now we know that the other two people we know the car was there at 2 30 because the brother saw it he's, well, he the did, car he was there but he can't say right. whether they were in it or right. not and we know the people saw it at 5 a.m and then the other people saw it at 6 but they still can't say so that. just up to 7 a.m yeah because that's when the father actually and you're stopped. gonna actually, and you're going to see the park rangers find that car before that too <laughs> yeah and you're gonna see them rifle through it and pull everything out and then take it back Right. Let us know if they were there <laughs> before that. So, I mean, I just find that crazy that it that the answer could be in a storage shed in Russia. The answer's 
could be anywhere. I mean, you know, I mean, I just, I just. The answer could have been in that car if they hadn't <laughs> messed up the evidence. <laughs> because, I mean, if you think about it, if nobody had to touch those clothes. Right. And that crime scene had have been. Pristine. Had then been you could trust. Down. Like you said, you, you could, could, you could trust, trust that dog trail. Yeah. Trail. Right. But there were so many people walking around. And I'm, I'm thinking like a mother, if that's my child, I'm going to walk as far as I right. can that's both true. ways to try and see if I can find my child. Right. That's true. I had not thought of that. And you know that they touched them clothes. You know that they were around that car. Well, we that, know that the park rangers there touched were, them. So, there were so many scents around that car mm-hmm. and around those clothes. And since that all didn't come out till years later, maybe if the dog handler would have known that at the time, he wouldn't have been so sure. Yeah. But I can see him being sure, okay, these are their clothes. Right. I can see where he's coming from at the time, not knowing all of this. Right. Yes, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, so. Well, there you go. Well, bro, that's where we're going to. FBI, gonna... <laughs> y'all can just throw the dog scent thing out and go another route. They're not even there. We've got that covered. I, See, I... Look, that's how you work a case. <laughs> <laughs> you think. <laughs> You're such an asshole. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, I mean, really, though, um... Well, I mean, that just, just makes you think. I, just, I know. I just, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you just have to stop and think. Right. And two, the FBI also didn't know that at the time. At the time, I can see them trusting that scent. Right. But they're still throwing that scent out there as evidence and that dog track as evidence knowing. Okay, well, I don't, don't know for people. sure that they are. I'm just telling you what they found at them, what they did. When they were best, because none of the like we don't have files that have been we don't need them because this is an open case yeah so we we don't don't have files on anything so we don't know what they're thinking today as far as that tell us what you're thinking today we want to (laughs) know do you still believe in the dog track I want to know I want to hear from I want to hear from you FBI let me yeah let us know (laughs) you ain't got to tell us like any evidence just let us know do you still believe that the dog track was like accurate right accurately one of the victims right. Or somebody else that was at the crime scene. Yes. That's all I want to know. I had not thought about that, but that makes sense. See what happens when you sit down and think? Well, I mean, when you talk through it, yeah. You, but that's Thanks. why they have a group of people that work on <laughs> homicides, not just one. So you can sit down but and like talk again, it out. They could have figured this part out a long time ago, and we would have never known. Cause well, they, this is true. Because they're not releasing information. They're not releasing but they could come out and say, "Well, the dog trap track is." Well, I mean, they're not going to. I mean, they're not going to tell us what they know because they're still investigating I want it. To know, they probably did figure that out a long time ago, and we're just sitting here thinking that we've just broken this case wide open. <laughs> no, I didn't say I'd broken the case wide open. I've just debunked the dog track. Is all I've done because there's were too many people around that crime scene. Yeah, you can't trust it. So that's where we're going to leave off for this week. Oh, and man. we're going to pick up again next week. Okay. I know it's sad when we end our stories. <laughs> but, it's, I but it's not the end. No. no we're nowhere, we're nowhere near the end, the end of this. <laughs> we're not near the end of this. We may leave you, but it's not the end. <laughs> and guys, I know that I screwed the pooch this week. And it's not Monday. But we're still going to do Monday morning. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Who have we got today? Because we just need it. So, we need a laugh. Yeah. So this comes from an article um, in the New York Post by Joe Takapino. Headline. Headline. Man allegedly hiding drugs in butt accidentally shoots himself in testicles. <laughs> what the fuck? 
wait just a minute. How, how does hiding drugs in your anus lead to shooting yourself in the testicles? I think it's, I think it's just two different it's situations. <laughs> I think that that's... I think he's got a, a, a drug and butt situation, and then he's got a shoot himself in testicles situation. he didn't put the drugs in a baggie and put them in their roll. So... Because the anal glands will absorb that <laughs> stuff. It's like a, it's a homemade suppository. It's a, it's a sponge. Yeah. Now, a bungling felon from Washington State made a series of blunders wow. when he shot himself in the testicles and tried to hide the weapon, all while storing drugs in his anus, a report said Wednesday. If you're going to store drugs in your anus, <laughs> here's an idea. <laughs> Make sure you don't have other stuff going on. <laughs> Cameron Jeffrey Wilson, 27, was carrying a pistol in his front pocket while in his Cashmere, Washington apartment on April the 5th when the firearm accidentally discharged and pierced his groin and thigh. Wilson, who was a 13-time convicted felon, <laughs> told his girlfriend to dispose of the weapon before heading to the hospital. Um, they're going to know it was a gun. <laughs> With- when the ex-con finally went to the hospital... X-rays showed the drugs. Oh, shit. I forgot about that. No, that's not how they found it. A balloon of marijuana slipped out of his anus while a doctor was operating on the gunshot wound. <laughs> Cops. Um. Cops also arrived at the hospital when alerted of the gunshot wound and searched Wilson's car when they discovered a bag of meth in a blo- in the blood-stained jeans he was wearing when he shot himself. That's the problem right there. He was high on meth, forgot he had the drugs in his ass, shot himself, and then went to the hospital. Let him put him <laughs> under where everything relaxes and the drugs came right, he out. Couldn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't tight He was anymore. not able to hold it He in. wasn't tight anymore. The officers issued an arrest warrant for Wilson, and he turned himself in to police on April 18th. As he was being processed at the Chil- I guess it's Chillin County Regional Justice Center, Wilson was strip-searched, and another balloon of marijuana slipped from his <laughs> You damn sure don't go into the police station with it. What? Dude. While in jail, Wilson made a number of calls to his girlfriend and asked her not to cooperate with investigators working on his case. Authorities were listening I don't in think on all the phone I don't, calls. I first, yeah, first of all, they listen in to all of that. Second of all, I don't think they're going to need her. I, I think they've got all the evidence that they need. Yeah, I think it's, I think they, I think that's pretty much out at this point, dude. Got this one pretty much wrapped up. <laughs> the convicted felon was charged with possession of a firearm, unlawful possession of meth, possession of a controlled substance in a correctional facility, and four counts of tampering with a witness. Please tell me he didn't tell them that's not mine. No. Like all the rest of them do when they find drugs in their pockets. That's not mine. That's yours. <laughs> So. Unless somebody else is stuffing drugs up your tail. So there's this that's that story. <laughs> can't trust nobody's I'm ass. I'm beginning to live for Monday moron, I tell you. You can't trust you can't trust nobody's ass, I swear. They're always gonna tell on you. <laughs> somebody's ass always speaks the truth. They always blab. Oh my gosh. They're just gonna spit it out. <laughs> so funny. Oh my gosh hilarious all right guys 
Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Remember, you can email us at onecrimeatatime at gmail.com. Anything you would like for us to know or think that we should know. But how ridiculous we were. <laughs> if you've got any dumb, if you've got a Monday Moron story, please send it in. Or any dumb story. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're um, at One Crime Pod on all of those. If you are into learning the history of some of the most haunted places and around, if they have some ghosts, and if you got some ghosts, you can listen to our other podcast out in the sticks. And you can find that wherever you're listening to this. Yes. Also, if you would like to help support the show, you can visit our Patreon page. We have four levels that start at only a dollar a month. A dollar a month. One dollar. And you get exclusive access to what our Patreon feed. What can you get feed. for a dollar these days, people? <laughs> Nothing but a membership on our Patreon. <laughs> and access to our exclusive Patreon That's feed. right. You can also choose to get access to our monthly mini-sodes that we have on there. <laughs> Merchandise that we have, um, and commercial-free episodes. So just go to patreon.com slash onecrimepod. If you would like to make a one-time donation, you can do that at PayPal by using our onecrimeatatime at gmail.com. Email address. You can help us keep a, this thing going. Yeah. The it's train, the train wreck that it is. <laughs> you can it's, keep it going It's and been coming. getting rough here for the past few weeks. Hospital <laughs> bills and I know, everything. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. Um... I know we've kind of flaked on you the last few weeks, and but it's been beyond our control, I promise you. Yeah, no. um, also want to remind you that our merch, our merch store is up and running. We've got t-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, magnets, what else? onesies. We've got, we've got tote it Tote bags. We've totes, got it all. Masks. Banners. Masks. Just a whole lot of shit on there. Uh, and lastly, one of the biggest ways you can support us is to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Please so I go have leave her a review so she can read it. Just flood that thing flood with Flood it. Flood it. <laughs> I, if you flood it, I might even start reading two episodes. Oh, an my episode. God. <laughs> See? See? Yep. So, yeah, I'm just saying. It's it, the it, ball's it, in your court. That's all I'm saying. She, If you get enough of them, she might even read three. Oh. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine I having know. enough to read three per I episode? Know. I would lose my mind. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but really, guys, that does yes. help. It really does help us out. We do enjoy reading them. So if you got time, if you could go hit us up over there and write us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And so I guess until next week, remember only dive into one crime at a time. Bye. Bye. Bye.